Yes, yeah, so my, myself and a few of the disciples of the church. Uh, so we have morning prayer uh, every, every morning. And um, this same message that we're going to be looking at this morning has been on my heart for the last year, year and a half. It's really been stirring and it's quite concerning to me. So it was interesting uh, during the week in, uh, in, in morning prayer that one of the guys was like, Pastor, have you noticed this and have you noticed that? And there opened up a conversation that lasted, you know, for well over, I don't know, about an hour, hour and a half. I want to talk about unity, unity in the body of Christ. So the subject is the body of Christ. The topic is unity. If you have your Bibles, why don't we turn? I want to have a look at the book of uh, Ephesians. So it's Ephesians 4. And it's chapters, uh, sorry, verse 1 through to 6. So it's the book of Ephesians, and we're looking at the subject of unity. Because church, we often have a tendency to focus on things that divide us. We are so preoccupied with the things that is different about you, and that's different about you. And we have this fixation about the things that divides us instead of the things that unify us, that unite us. And we can see this play out in family. If you have any family gathering, whether Christmas as it's coming up, there's always one that would <clears throat> be like the outcast, right? Maybe the, uh, the black sheep of the family. It might be that you're low class. <laughs> It might be you're the distant cousin, you're uncouth, you don't have enough money, you're not the same class as us, and you come around at Christmas and you just aren't the same as us. It could be in our marriage that she wants things one way, my wife wants things done in a certain way, honey can you please not leave things laying on the floor. <clears throat> But I want to do it another way. It might be in society. It might be the young people blaming the old people. It's all the, young, it's all the old people's fault. Or the old people blaming the, the younger people. You know, countries being divided right now over the subject of Brexit. But uh, not just in the UK, across in the, in the United States. You know, it's, it's, they're being divided over the political lines. Humanity is being divided, church. We're being divided over colour. We're being divided over class. We're being divided over race. And I dare say, church, it even extends to the body of Christ. We often focus on things that divide us instead of the things that can unify us. You know, I remember, uh, as I've shared many times, I was saved in 1993, which simply means I came to an end of myself, realized I could go no further, turned to God and said, Jesus, help me. So I lived a life as a Christian for two solid years. <laughs> Met a girl, uh, fell in lust, because it wasn't love, and left the 
the church, the, the body. And it was the worst experience because I had my heart broken for the first time. I went out into the world thinking that this woman loved me and it, she didn't. Let there be a lesson. Ten years I was in this, what we call the world, which is the secular thing, which is anything which is un outside of the, the body of Christ. So I'm in the world ten years. I want to go back, but there's something in me that finds it hard to go back. So ten years later, I went back. And it took me a while to, it was kind of weird, because I'd known what I'd done for those ten years. So as these beautiful people of God is lifting up hands and singing, I know they've lived a life holy. They've consecrated themselves and kept themselves to the... I've come in, stinking out the place. Ten years. So it took me a little time to, to adjust. And I remember one time in the prayer room. We got a prayer room at the back, and before church, I would encourage you to come slightly early. Come 10, 15, maybe 20 minutes before. Uh, we, we, we sit and pray before church just to call for his grace, his presence. So I'm in the prayer room. And in the body I'm there and there's a prayer room to the side. And there's this guy sat next to me. I mean, it's a small prayer room. Like as you are sat now. And right next to me, there's this guy and he's praying. And he's praying at the top of his voice. And wherever I sat, from week to week, the same guy would always seem to find me. He would always come and sit right next to me, month after month, you know, week after week, month after month. And I'm trying to pray, man. I'm back in church. I'm trying to pray. So this started to knock me. This started to really annoy me. This started to, every time I saw him in church, I was like, who's that guy? You know. So I, I felt a kind of way towards him. Why doesn't he just pray properly? Why do you have to be so unnecessary, so loud? You're different to me, man. And you always find yourself next to me. The guy was different to me. And personally, at this stage now, you know, a couple of months has passed. I'm thinking, this guy's just rude. He's just rude. You know I'm right here, right? You know I'm trying to pray. And you're praying at the top of your... You're just rude. You're just rude. Anyway, God got a hold of me. Praise God. God got a hold of me. God spoke to me. And in my kinked heart, and in all of these things that was building up inside of me, God spoke to me and said, hey, listen, you know what? He's not rude. It's you. The issue is you. You have got things going on inside of you that has now prejudiced you against him. There is something in you so I had to repent. <laughs> I had to pray the way that I felt and I prayed. But what I learned out of that experience is that, you know what, the guy wasn't actually rude. He was actually a really nice guy. He was a really nice, a, a passionate guy. Uh, he was from a different culture to me. You know, I came, uh, my, my, you know, when I was growing up, I was uh, birthed into a family of Roman Catholics. So we would sit, and very quietly, shh, very quietly, and we would pray. But then I got born again and I'm entered into a Pentecostal. So this guy prays aloud. So it was different from me. This guy came from a different culture to me. 
The fact that he, I prayed quietly and he didn't, uh, uh, there, was, there was a separation. But as we developed, he had the same dreams as me. He was the same kind of guy. He had the same hopes. He had the same fears. He had the same needs as me. He was a guy that was going through the same struggles as me. He had a similar personality to me in actual fact. So before we start, I just want to ask a question. And that is, how do, you, how do you unite with people who are different from you? Just pause for a second. How do you unite, not looking for differences, not looking for things that is going to like, how do you unite with people that's different from you? Because in our text that we're about to read, Paul writes to encourage for unity, for unity in the body of Christ. Ephesians 4, 1 and 6 reads, Therefore I, a prisoner in the Lord, urge you to live worthy of the calling you have received with all humility and gentleness and patience, bearing with one another in love, making every effort to keep unity of the Holy Spirit through the bond of peace. Verse 4. There is one body. There is one spirit. Just as you were called to one hope at the calling, there is one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is above all, through all, and in all. Church, let us pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, we pray upon this spirit, O oh God, which we're about to address of unity or disunity. Father, we're asking in the wonderful name and grace, love and forbearance of our Father, that you would help us to understand the insidious nature, the danger, Lord, of what we're about to look at, Father. I'm praying by your grace and by your love that you would speak to your people, Lord. Minister to your people, Lord, beyond my ability, Father. For this is the season and this is the time and this is the danger that this world is facing. And by inspiration of your Holy Spirit, I pray that you would help me deliver your message. One of warning, but one of hope. And I pray this in all humility, in Jesus' name. Amen. Church, the context of our, of our chapter here, the context that we're, that we're looking into is the body of Christ. In verse 4, it speaks about the body, the church. The church is described as a body. So as there's many bodies here, as we sit in our chair, we have a torso. We have a left and a right arm. We have a leg longer than the other. Some of you, some of me. <laughs> but the Bible speaks of the church as a body, an arm, a torso, a leg. But it mentions that Christ is the head, as we have a head. 
It shows how Christians here must be in unity. Must be in unity, firstly with Christ. Must be in unity, secondly with each other. Ephesians 5.23 says, Christ is the head of the church. His body and is himself its saviour. Colossians 1.18 says that he also is the head of the body, which is the church. So I say, church, that today the church is not, is not the building. We're going to church. We're going to the building. The Bible says the church isn't the building. It's not an organization. But we are the body of Christ. That's what the Bible says. We are part of his body. We are, you could be an arm, you could be a leg, you could be a shoulder. The Bible here is painting us as members and part of a body. In 1 Corinthians 12, and, uh, um, sorry, no, rather. So what we're saying here, and what we're seeing here, and what Paul is painting here for us, is a wonderful, beautiful uh, tapestry. It's a picture of the beauty of the cross of Jesus Christ. Because believers don't just come and, and sit in a building. As we come as Christians, we don't just come and sit in a building. What the Bible is saying, essentially, is that we are part of a body. Again, you could be a shoulder. What are you, my sister? You could be an arm. You could be, I don't know, something else, an eye. But that's what the Bible is saying. It's painting us as a body. You didn't redeem you just because, just, just to leave you to sit down in church. Jesus hasn't washed, hasn't cleansed, hasn't forgiven, hasn't redeemed you. You don't stand before God justified simply to come with a very nice suit. Sit down in church, please. Yeah, and uh, you're comfortable? Yeah. He didn't save us. He didn't call us just to sit down in church. But he has called us to use us. He's called us to include us. Your destiny and your fruitfulness, your breakthrough, the healing that you seek, the gifting is linked to you being in unity with the body. You are linked to the unity. Your breakthrough, all of these things is linked to the unity. So the membership that we, that we look at, that beautiful tapestry that Paul is painting in this picture, he's saying about the beauty of the cross and how the body is formed together. Through spiritual eyes, you might see yourself as, as just the guy or just the girl. We, we come and we, we travel and it was hard coming, and, but we made it and we've come down and we, we sit down, we've sung some songs and that's wonderful. You might see that in your physical, but the Bible and God is saying to see yourself more than that. The beauty of the cross says that your membership, your membership into the body has been fully paid up. You have a membership card. It enables you to enter in and be part of the spiritual body of the living God. And the Bible says through the beautiful tapestry of the cross, through the blood of Jesus Christ, that, that, that cleansed and redeemed us, through that blood, we have a membership and we can be part of this spiritual body. 
So I say again, church is not the building. It's not an organization. But God is saying that you are my body. You are a spiritual entity. We're placed in the body of Christ. We are placed in the body of Christ. How you see yourself and how God sees you is two very different things. You could be an arm to strengthen. You could be a leg that would bring the gospel to some, some, some further reaching parts of Bournemouth and beyond. You could be the eyes that could see something that pastor can't see or some of the members can't see. God has a unique role for you to fulfill, church. I say God has a unique role that only you can fill. He has saved and redeemed you for a reason. It's not just to come in and, and welcomed as we all are, but it is more. It is, like my friend Max would say, it's deeper than that. It's deeper than that. So let's get into the main subject here. Because in our text, there is a concern. And that is the division within the body. What we've got to see here is that unity is something that you have to fight for. Like we made the illustrations of in our marriage or, 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 or in our relationships. Unity is something that we have to fight for. In the third verse it says that we have to make every effort. Ephesians 4 verse 3 says that we have to endeavor. We have to make every effort to keep the unity of the Holy Spirit through the bond of peace. In your Bibles, it may say endeavor. That is diligently and that is earnestly, that is eagerly to make every effort to do your very best, the Bible is saying, to keep unity. That word unity is a oneness. It is agreement. We've got to make every endeavor and every effort to keep oneness. To keep in agreement. Paul is saying, you have to work on unity. You have to work at it. Unity doesn't just happen. You have to work at it. There's so many differences amongst us, right? We've isolated some of them as we started. Our colour, our language, our education, our age, our culture, our tradition, our finances. Church, the reason we have to see this is as I started saying, through inspiration of the Holy Spirit, there is a wind of division that is blowing across the face of this earth. And I come as a warning. There is a spirit of division that is being blown in the UK. Some would say Brexit. Some would say that it stirred up Rachel's tension. There is, but I would say it is more than that. It is a spirit. It is not the device of man that puts pen to paper and writes these laws. It is not the Brexit party or the Remain party. There is a supernatural and it is a, it is a spirit that is blowing across the face of the UK. And it is not just happening in the UK, it's happening in America as well. We've seen with the political lines and, and all the racial baiting and all of these things 
that is being provoked is happening in Europe as well, in the far right, uh, raising up in Italy, and all of these things. It is destructive. It is deceitful. It is distracting. The result of this is segregation. They sit over there because, you know, but, but we're over here. It is segregation. We've seen it before. We've seen it before in places like South Africa. We've seen this play out in, in, uh, in, in Germany. We have seen this play out. But if you miss this church, division will destroy the effectiveness of each member of the body. We are the body of Christ. The division will destroy the effectiveness. I sat next to my brother in Christ a good man, but because he was different from me, seemingly, I saw myself as slightly better than him. Surely this guy is, uh, you know, he's, he's, not as, he's not as eloquent, probably not as affluent, and very uncouth. He's very rude. If we don't check this, if we don't see this as it manifests, we play into and tap into this spirit. And as we feed into it like a flame, it grows and it grows and it grows. And the bed of his support, this spirit, grows. And as it grows, it travels. And as it travels, it gathers momentum. And as it gathers momentum, it gathers collateral damage. Good meaning people. Good people. It, there is a tendency for us to be dragged along. If we don't see the truth here, we need to see it. So I come as a warning. It is a strategy of division. It is a strategy of division. And that division brings destruction. It is divide and then it is conquer. In Matthew 12, 25, it says, Knowing their thoughts, he told them, Every kingdom divided against itself is headed for destruction. And no city or house divided against itself will stand. I say again, every marriage that is divided will not stand. Are you so petty as she wants it that way? I want it this way. That's it. That's it. Every family that will not stick together and that will not fight, as the Bible says, we need to fight for the unity, will not stand. Every business that we want to enter into, if there is no unity, if we don't recognize the insidious nature of this evil prevailing spirit that breeds destruction, and separation will not stand. Every friendship, every soul that is precious before God. I was an individual soul. And if I didn't check myself, if I wasn't open enough for God to say, like I say to my children, fix, fix yourself. Fix yourself. If I wasn't able to and, and check, yeah, God, sorry, Lord, forgive me. How can I hold these thoughts against my brother, another brother in Christ? He's trying to worship you, and I've got all of these thoughts. That, 
So I need to go to this brother and say, my brother, forgive me, you know what? I had it twisted. I thought that he turned out to be an amazing guy. So it is a strategy of division that brings destruction. My second point is that Satan uses your differences. As I have this inside of me, as you have whatever you have inside of you, this spirit that is insidious overcasts, overshadows, and he uses that. Satan uses your differences. He uses your, your, your prejudices to divide you. To divide you. He uses emotional uh, uh, differences. You don't feel the way I feel. You're not as passionate as, I, as I'm passionate. He, he uses the, the economical climate. You know, Brexit, if we don't do Brexit, then all these immigrants are gonna take our women, take our jobs, take our wealth, take our crops. It's economical. And to the, to the, to the, to the unthinking mind, all you're thinking about, like our offering illustration, we're not seeing the beyond. All we're seeing is what's in my pocket right now. I'm trying to get somewhere here and you're distracting me. You, you foreigners, you're coming in, you're taking my jobs. If we're not thinking, if we're not aware that we are in a spiritual climate, there is a fight going on, we will succumb. The political differences as is playing out in America, if, we don't, if we're not minded towards Christ and grounded in his work, we, we will be swept along. Yeah, that Trump. Yeah, those Democrats. Yeah, the Republicans. And now, again, conquer and divide, right? So we've got color over here. We've got tribe over there. We've got status over there. We've got education over there. We've got wealth over there. Politics over there. Pride. That in some way you're better than them. But I want to declare this afternoon, church, that the cross has eliminated these things. Through the cross of Jesus Christ, he has eliminated color. He has eliminated language. He has eliminated education or lack of. He's eliminated the age discrepancies and is he older, is he young and the traditions. The cross has eliminated, in 1 Corinthians 1 and 10, says that I appeal to you and I pray as pastor. This is a, this is a cry from, by inspiration of the Holy Spirit. I appeal to you in 1 Corinthians 1.10. Brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree and that there may be no division amongst you, but that you be unified in the same mind and in the same judgment. Because calling is linked to this. By the cross, he's given us calling. We're not saved just to come and warm seats, though wonderful it is to see your cheery faces. God is calling us to more. He's given us calling. He's called to salvation and placing in this church. He has given you a function. He's given us a function. But also, there is the commission. He's called us to go out and to reach the lost with the gospel to a body of people that is dying and separated, the real separation that matters, from God. We're so preoccupied with this or with that or with that or with this, 
we're being, we're being, we're being hog, what is it, hogwashed? Hog, anyway, we're being blinded. We're being deceived. There's a real threat and a real enemy. And instead of seeing him, he's saying, hey, don't look at that. Look at this trick. Look at this trick. Look, look at this trick. Race. Yeah, look at this trick. Money. Do you see? Right? Look at this. Sex. Yeah, look at this. Difference. Difference. Political. Uh, ecological. Uh, emotional. We're united, church. We're united. We have to stand united. Irrelevant of what political landscape there is and whoever's trying to speak foolishness, we have to be united. We sang that wonderful song and the girls sang like, make me a house of prayer. We need to be united in prayer. We need to stand together in prayer. My sister, my brother, what can I pray for? Oh, I'm going through it right now. Okay, let me pray. Because it is not, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. It is not the man that comes against me, but there is a spirit behind him. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against rulers of dark, evil places. So we pray, not against the man, but against the spirit. I come against the spirit that spreads division, that spreads rebellion, hatred. We stand united in worship. As we all stand and we sang and I I heard your voices, we stand in worship of our Lord, of evangelism. We stand united in church. We stand united in fellowship, in our vision, that we, we, we will stay focused. We will not be blinded by these parlor tricks. What is that? The fast show used to say, look in my eyes, look in my eyes. Don't look, don't, don't look around me, look in my eyes, look in my eyes. Was it the fast show? One of these. What was it? Little Britain. Little Britain, that's right. This comedy sketch of a magician that would open his eyes like this and say, look into my eyes, look into my eyes. Don't look around me, don't look around me. And all around him there's foolishness. We will not allow our vision to be taken from the real foe. We will not be push to compromise our holiness because these guys are doing it these guys are doing it I'm going to do it we're not going to sacrifice our purity we're not going to sacrifice our giving and generosity our loving one another our, dis- our, our disciplines we have to resist those who seek to divide us church we have to resist those that seek to divide us in Romans 16 and 17 says, I appeal to you, brothers, to watch over those, sorry, to, to watch out for those who cause division and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine you have been taught. The Bible says to avoid them. But as we close, as we wrap up on this wonderful Sunday, it's not us that does this to fight this spiritual insidious spirit of destruction division we need a spiritual uh, uh, um, uh, like comrade we need the help of Christ we need a spiritual it is Jesus himself that will make this possible Christ in us as we speak his words, as we connect with his thoughts in unity, in love, 
He unites believers in the body, the church. In the third verse, it speaks about the bond of peace as we close. It speaks that we should be united with the bond of peace. Ephesians 4 and 3. Well, the Greek word for bond is sodosmos. Forgive me if you speak Greek. But there is, there is two meanings. We know that English is very, is very clumbersome. We need more than one description to uh, bring clarity to what the Greek says in one word. The Greek would say this, this, uh, uh, sodesmos, sodesmos. But the English, we know we have to, because of its inability to, very, to, to articulate, it's, it's a very clumbersome language as English. But there's two meanings to this word, bond. We're to, be, we're to be united in a bond of peace. The first is that which binds us together. It is a band, like an elastic band around a wad of money. It is a band. It is a bond. But the second, I thought, is quite interesting as I was putting this word together today. And it speaks of, in the Greek, it's, it's, uh, it's of the ligaments of which the members of the human body are, uh, are united together. So it's the ligaments, my little finger. There's a ligament there. There's like a tissue. I don't know, it's a ligament, I guess. I don't know what it's made out of. I've got my chemist friend at the back who I'm sure could give us a full description. But my finger has a ligament in each, in each sort of uh, um, um, joint, right? There's a piece of tissue. There's a piece of uh, ligament. What the Bible is saying here is that the peace that we cultivate, that we create through unity of the Holy Spirit, will be the ligament that connects the tissues that bands the body together. So you are an arm, my brother. You are another arm. You are a leg or a torso or whatever we are. The bond of peace the Bible speaks of is, the, is, is like that tissue, is like a ligament that pulls us together. So that bond, that ligament, the Bible says is peace and it holds us together. Without peace, the body kind of falls apart like a, like a puppet. A rich man with a poor man that's what it does. Two opposing people. A brown-skinned man with a pale-faced man. It is the bond. It doesn't matter. It, it, it holds us together. The Brexiteer with a Remainer. The peace that God is speaking about, that we must cultivate and work at, it will hold us together. Irrelevant of political alliance. Republic, Republican, or Democrat. It is that ligament, that peace will hold you together. So when we put the cross above our differences, church, as we're wrapping up, when we put the cross of Jesus Christ above our personal prejudices, misconceptions, the Holy Spirit binds us together in peace. 
It is the Holy Spirit. When we, when we put these aside, he will bind us together. Irrelevant of station in life. So our differences will lead to celebration. That is the body of Christ. Hallelujah. Our differences will lead to celebration, not segregation. I can now like celebrate with my Nigerian sister. She's going to cook me some agusi. I'll be like, yes, please. I can celebrate with my South African sister that says she's going to make something from South. Yes, please. It leads to new experiences. It leads to experiencing and embracing differences in our church. It is a wonderful thing. People coming together. I can learn from you. Your culture has something that I can learn from. Your food, hallelujah. Did I say food already? Okay. <laughs> the music, the dress, the perspectives that you have, I can learn from. That is the body of Christ. When we put the cross above our differences, the Holy Spirit will bind us together, irrelevant of where the Spirit has brought us from. So let me close by reminding us that in this time there is a wind that is blowing. And it is a dangerous and it is divisive. A spirit that is raising that threatens to divide the body of Christ. The enemy is using false doctrine. The enemy is using political race baiting. The economy to make unrest, to stoke up division. In the body, now I can be, you know, praising God and looking at him because he voted Brexit. Really? Because he's a Democrat. Really? Ephesians 3 says, making every effort to endeavor, we're endeavoring to keep the unity of the Holy Spirit. We are fighting. You wanna take my wife? I will fight you for it. You wanna take my children? I will fight you for it. You wanna take the peace of the Holy Spirit that God has promised his church? I will fight you for it. I will fight you for the arm that you're coming against right now, or for the neck, or for the leg. I will fight you because your doctrine is trying to Weaken, destruct, or corrode him. You're spinning his mind out and now he's believing your foolishness. I will fight you for it. I will pray against you. And that is what the Bible is saying. We have to stand unified in praying, in being there for one another. Imagine when the Holy Spirit brings that, 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 that mind, that same mind that was in Christ. Let it be in us. That we would stand united, shoulder to shoulder against our brother and our sister. We're not going to allow him to spin out. We're not going to allow her to be taken by the, you know, Remainers, the Brexit Party, or whoever else foolishness they're listening to on, on YouTube. That now we're being indoctrinated. We overcome our differences. We have peace in our own heart and mind. But more so we have fruitfulness amongst ourselves. Because now we, I love it. Now I embrace it. Now I celebrate it. Now I look and I think, whoa, you know what? I don't think of that country as anything less than it is. I value it for its culture, traditions, and beauty. 
I don't think of that country and name it something that it's not, but I value it for its ingenuity, its development, and its education. I don't value them because, right? So we overcome our differences, and we have peace, and we will have fruitfulness amongst ourselves. So I pray as we leave today that we would heed to the warning because if we don't, you know, the enemy's after not just us, but it's the generation that comes after us. We are educated and grown enough to, to, we've been around long enough to think, hang on, you know, that doesn't sound right. But maybe our children isn't. The enemy is after the next generation. He has always been after the children to turn the children's heart into thinking foolishly. I pray that as we go out of here, let, us, let the same spirit that is in Christ be in us. That God has united every true believer in the body of Christ. And he has done that through his blood. We are united through his blood. There is no Greek, there's no Jew, there's no Gentile. We are one in Christ. In the name of Jesus, we must bury all of our differences that the body of Christ may be built up. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let us pray. We're finished. Heavenly Father, we thank you. Amen. So we're going to continue, church, in the, in the series that we started uh, last week. So we started having a look at the body of Christ, uh, what that is. We looked at last week, uh, uh, goodness, what did we look at last week? I forget now, mine's gone blank. Somebody tell me. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that's right, yeah, amen, thank you, rescue. We looked at uh, the subject of unity. Unity is a body in Christ. We're going to continue in the book of Ephesians. Uh, so if you have your Bibles, uh, why don't we turn to it's, uh, Ephesians 4, and it's verse 7 through to 12. Today we're looking at the subject of ministry. Church, this is the body of Christ, as we sit in front of us here. This is the church, as we gather here. The individual members, as we talked about last week, collectively makes up the body of Christ. A man once said to me that, Mervyn, you know, it was actually my pastor, Pastor Nigel Brown. Pastor Nigel Brown once said to me, in my early days of salvation, that, you know, Mervyn, the church that you see here is more like an A&E department. It's more like an accident and emergency department in, in a hospital. And I looked at him curiously, why would he say that? But he went on to say that the church, it is for the wounded. It is for the critically ill. It is the place where people receive the much needed help. So it's not like a showroom. 
We're not trained professionals. The church, the body of Christ, it's not for those that have attained perfection. As you walk in, it's not like an Ikea uh, uh, showroom where everything is put just as it should be. The right colors with the right fabrics, the right rugs with the right flowers. Everything is done just perfectly. It is more like an A&E department, the church, the body. Church, as I and as you provide food, and as you provide care, and as you provide exercise for your physical body, so too does Jesus provide food and care and exercise for his spiritual body, which is the church. So it is Christ that will grow the body. Amen? It is Christ that cherishes his body as we look after our body. Christ looks after his body. He cherishes his body. He nourishes his body. And it is Christ that will exercise his body as well. My brother Ashley said to me yesterday, Pastor, you know what? I wasn't feeling well, so I went for a run. Really? Yes. I ran. I was running through the forest. Excellent, Ashley. <laughs> How long did you run for? Two hours. <laughs> Two hours. Who does that? <laughs> As you supply the physical exercise for your body, Christ provides a physical exercise for us, the body, his body. And this he does by using the saints. He uses the willing members of the body. And he does this physical exercise through ministry. Ministry. We're going to look at ministry. So it's through ministry of the saints that we play a part of building the body of Christ. We play a part of building our own bodies. God uses the saints to play a part in building the spiritual body that is. And that is to win souls. That is to make disciples. That is to have that movement of God through prayer. That is that church would be built up to the powerful organism that God has designed it to be. It is by the saints. Church, there is a pastor in our fellowship called Pastor Mo Timbo. He's an amazing guy. So he was sent out, he was ordained in the 2015 conference. No, he was, he was ordained in the 2014 conference, forgive me. He was actually sent out in, uh, he actually started the church in 2015. So he pioneers a church in Hull, in the UK. I want us to have a quick listen to what, uh, what Pastor Motimbo has to say. Is that coming up? Amen. So my name is Mo Timbo, and I want to tell you a story of how Jesus Christ transformed my life. 
And so I became a Christian eight years ago. And um, I grew up in a place um, in Southeast London, a place called Peckham. And so Peckham was um, filled with drugs and crime. And so at the age of 14, I became a drug dealer. I became one of the local crack cocaine dealers. Um, and by the age of 16, I was stabbed by a rival gang. And because we were always involved in gang warfare, I got stabbed several times, three times on my arm and once in my back. And the last stab was literally inches away from my spine. And so I remember going to school and in college, all of the teachers, they literally used to wash their hands off me. They said, oh, there's that trouble kid who's always selling drugs. There's that trouble kid who's always fighting and involved in gang crime. And so literally society gave up on me. And I always used to think to myself, why, why am I behaving this way? There's no hope for me. There's no change for me. I've been arrested by the police several times. Um, I contemplated killing myself because when I looked at my life, there was no hope for me. And there was nothing in my life that I wanted to live for. But one day I was going out with a girl and so this girl was a Christian and she started telling me how Jesus Christ loved me no matter how many drugs I sold, no matter how many times I got arrested by the police, even if my father rejected me or my school rejected me, she told me that Jesus Christ loved me for me. And so for me this was a powerful message because I'm thinking why would anybody love me? You know, I've sold drugs, I'm a criminal, I've been involved in um, with police, I've lost my friends to knife crime, I've been stabbed, and so I'm looking at my life thinking, why would anybody love me? But she said, Jesus loves you. And so one day I was arrested by the police and they were gonna send me away for a very long time. And at that moment, there was just a desperation in my heart. I needed to cry out, but I thought there's no one there that would really love me. But then I remember the words of this young girl that Jesus Christ loved me. And so in a prison cell, I was sat in a prison cell, I got off the floor and I prayed and I said, Jesus, I really need you to come into my life. And as I said that, I felt the warmth of the Holy Spirit just come and live inside of me. And I felt all of my burdens literally lift off me. And so I went into a church service on the Sunday. And that Sunday, I made a decision to give my life to Christ. And so I got delivered from drugs. I got delivered from anger, suicidal thoughts, depression. Everything literally got lifted in just one single prayer to Jesus Christ. And from that day, Jesus just transformed my life. The girl who told me about Jesus, I ended up marrying her and she became my wife we had a young child and um, who's four years old today um, and also I actually ended up going to prison for the things that I did but I didn't go into prison now as a drug dealer anymore I've gone into prison as this reformed character as this reformed man and so within a year and a half in jail I started sharing the gospel to the inmates in prison we saw over 600 men become Christians over 600 men gave their life to Christ and 35 people got baptized in the prison God started using my life powerfully. And the reason I say that is just to let you at home know that no matter how dark your situation may be, no matter how many times you think you may have failed, God can still use you. Jesus Christ can still transform your life. I look at my life today and it's a miracle. I'm just so thankful that for all the negative that I went through, God still loved me so much that he saved me and he used me. And I want to tell you that God can use you and God can save you. I'm currently a pastor in a church in Hull. And if he can do it for me, he can do it for you. May the Lord bless you. Amen. Hallelujah. Church, I want to, I want to speak today about this very subject of being used of God. I want to speak today about the life that God has the life that God has given you. And there's an interesting thing that uh, 
that, that he said in there. You know, he said that he was, he, was, he was a violent man. Now, just as a side note, we're not talking about religion. We're not talking about, you know, uh, coming to church and religiously talking about this guy, Jesus, and, and the Bible, and, and trying to work our way into feeling good and being a good person, yay. I'm talking about a life-changing experience with the God of heaven and earth. A very real and a very tangible, measurable experience that has completely changed this very violent man, he said. He said that he was a drug dealer. He was rejected of society. He was rejected by the school system. He was on the straight path to prison for a very, very long time. The question I have for us this afternoon is do you, do, do you believe, do you think that God can use you? If he can use Mo Timbo, do you think he can use you? In spite of your flaws, in spite of your weaknesses, in spite of your inadequacies, do you think he can use you? It's okay for him, but do you think God can use you? Because in our text, church, we have Paul the Apostle, and he writes about the body, like we started off saying. We are the body. We are untrained men. Most of us undisciplined men. Paul is writing about the body, a flawed organism, not Ikea, but broken individuals that God calls saints. <laughs> you are a saint, church. Not in the religious sense, in the biblical sense. God calls every new, every, every born-again believer a saint. Paul writes about the body and he writes about fulfilling the work of ministry in Ephesians 4 verse 7 through to 12 if you have your Bibles why don't we read it says that now grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift for it says when he ascended on high he took the captives captive he gave gifts to the people, verse 9. But what does the ascended mean except that he also descended to the lower parts of the earth? The one who descended is also the one who ascended far above all the heavens to fill all things, verse 11. And he himself gave some to be apostles. Some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, some to be pastors and teachers. Equipped in the saints for the work of the ministry to build up the body of Christ. Church, let us pray. Father, Lord, we come in the name of Jesus Christ this afternoon. And in your name, O oh Lord, we accept the label that you have given us, my Father. You have called us saints. Father, Lord, we accept that we are the church, a living, breathing organism, full of flaws and all. But you delight and you have called us your bride. 
and a precious possession, a peculiar people. Father, we thank you, Lord, God, that you have not seen us for our flaws, but you see us for what we can be in Christ. We delight in your presence this afternoon, Lord, as we enter into your word. We're asking, God, that you would speak to us. You nourish, my Lord. I pray, speak to us. You strengthen, my Lord. I pray, speak to us today that we may be strengthened and nourished, Lord. Father, I'm asking a blessing and an anointing be upon this word as we enter into it. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Hallelujah. Church, God has given the church a gift. And that gift is leaders. And the gift of workers. Together we must rise up and do the work of the ministry. So I say again, Jesus has given the church the gift of leaders and the gift of workers. We've got to rise up, church. The context of our text today is Christ's gift to the body, which is the church. Twice in our text, in 7 and 8, it speaks about that word gift. That word gift is a spiritual or a supernatural gift. Christ gave gifts. What Paul is saying is that having defeated the devil, Christ gave gifts to the church. Ephesians 8 says, Ephesians 4 and 8, paints a picture of this wonderful victory parade. Man, I can imagine it. In the spirit, it is a, it is, it is a, it is a parade. There's, there's cheering left and right. The conqueror, Christ, is at the front of the parade. He's defeated the enemy, which is behind him, led in chains. And as he goes through this, this parade, he's given gifts, the Bible says, to the church. I give a gift. I give a gift. I bestow a gift. Jesus defeated Satan and blessed the church with spiritual and supernatural gifts. The message today is one of the cross, church. Because our enemy has forever been defeated. In Colossians 2, 14 and 15, it says that he erased the certificate of debt with its obligations that was against us and opposed to us. And he has taken it away by nailing it to the cross. Verse 15, it says that he disarmed the rulers and authorities and disgraced them publicly. He triumphed over them in him. That is in the CSB version of, uh, of, of Colossians 2. In the, GT, in the GNT version of the same text, it says this. It says that Jesus, as we know we're speaking about, he cancelled the unlawful record of debt with its binding rules, he did away with it, with it completely by nailing it to the cross. Verse 15. And it says that on the cross, he freed, uh, sorry, on, the, on that cross, freed himself from the powers of spiritual rulers and authorities. He made a public spectacle of them by leading them as captives in his victory parade. He led the captive 
captive. In the victory parade, as Christ was crucified, the Bible said that he descended. And as he descended, he rose up again in victory. Christ declaring that your enemy has been defeated. Satan has been defeated. The sin in your life that you seem to think is so unconquerable has been defeated. The grave and death has been defeated through cross Jesus Christ. Oh, the condemnation that rests upon your mind, my brother, my sister, Christ is saying has been defeated. The guilt, the shame, the addiction. Oh, you may have a remnant of it still. You may say, but pastor, I still feel it. My stain, my cloth is still stained by it. That is but a pale shadow of what the true thing is. Sin is insidious and it is evil. It is deceitful, deceitful and destructive. The strong man has been defeated. Oh, I still wear the pains of when I was still in the world. I've still got a, a two stab wounds here. And that is true. I've still got my aching back. And that is true. But I am no longer captive to violence. I'm no longer captive to the, the body of, of death. Because sin and death, the grave and condemnation through Christ has been defeated. Immorality and depression, your failures has been covered by the blood of the Lamb. The blood defeated forever the things that defeat you, church. You think that it's too much. It's too much. But Christ has already given you victory. Christ has already given you victory. What we need to do is we need to appropriate that today. So the concern that we have is the building up of that body, the building up of that in us. Church, the truth that we must see is that God has given you spiritual gifts. Each one of you that believes in the risen Lamb, God has said, in his word, as we have just read it in Ephesians, as he ascended unto heaven, he led the captive captive. And as he led them captive, he gave unto the church spiritual gifts. Motimbo said, if, if he can use me, he can use you. In Acts 10 and 34, Peter, speaking of Peter, Peter said, uh, Peter began to speak. And he said, and I, sorry, uh, now I truly understand that God doesn't show favoritism. In the, New King, in the King James Version of the same text, it says, in truth, I perceive that God shows no partiality. In the eighth verse of our text, it says that God gave gifts unto man just like he gave gifts unto pastor motimbo he can use you where you are god has given you something inside of you what has he given you today 
What gifts do you have invested in you? What keen mind? What attention to detail? What winsome personality? What ability to communicate? What spiritual gifts of discernment and wisdom and knowledge and prophecy or healing has God invested in you today? Because it is a promise of God. God has said that he will nourish and strengthen his body. As my brother Ashley trained yesterday for two hours, he trains us for victory by giving us these things. What has it given you? What has it given you, church? What is the purpose of your gifts? What is the purpose of your gifts? Have you ever stopped to ask yourself that question? Because we are a living and a spiritual and a breathing organism. We are the body of the living God. Ephesians 4 and 12 says that for the perfecting of the saints for the work of the ministry. Have you ever thought why he's given you these gifts? Ephesians 12, 4, 12 said it is for the perfecting of the saints for the work of ministry. That word perfecting simply means to equip. It means to make fully ready. I am being perfected in Christ. No, that doesn't mean that you're perfect, my brother, my sister. We are not perfect. Can somebody say amen? amen. Everybody seems, and you know, you read this and it's like, but pastor, it says that we're supposed to be perfect. No, you're not. Christians are not perfect. Can I just, can I just put that out there? You see a Christian, they're not perfect. In our Bible, it says they're perfected. But that word in the Greek means to be mended. It means it's a picture of a net, a fishing net. As you cast it out and, and you fish, and you've brought in a heavy load of fish, and as you tug and as you pull this thing up on the shore and up onto your boat, and it's a net, it's made out of material, it's got heavy fish in there. So it bows and it warps. The perfect square that fish, the, the, the fish, now is, is slightly widened. The word perfecting means amending of that net. It is, it is a bringing back into order. It is equipping you so that you will function according to your, your natural, um, you know, what you're supposed to, how you're supposed to. Again, in, the, in a separate version, a BBE version of the same scripture, uh, it says that it's for the training for this of uh, it's the it's for the training of the saints as servants of Christ to build up uh, the body of Christ. That is why we was given the gifts in the GNT, in the GNB version. It says that he did this to prepare all, all of God's people for the work of the Christian service, in order to build up the body of Christ. Why have you been given your spiritual gifts? Why can my sister sing so well? Why does my brother have such strength, determination, and, 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 and ability to rap? Why does my brother earn so much money, <laughs> Keith? <laughs> why, why does he have such understanding of the medical world? Psy, uh, um, uh, psych, not psychology, um, chemist, all that chemical stuff. Yeah. Pharmacist, that's the one. Why does my brother have that? Why does my young brother uh, have, have a, an ability at such a young age to engage people, go in there and negotiate deals? God has given each and every one of us 
an ability and a talent and a skill and you question what I have. What is it that I have? You look to yourself and you think, ah, he's got everything. No, he hasn't. God has given his church gifts today. Spiritual leadership is there for the building up of the church so that in turn we can be equipped to build up the body. The Bible says that he has given us pastors, he's given us evangelists, he's given us all of these ministries. Spiritual leadership is for the building up of you so that you may in turn build up the body. Do you see that? Play it forward. Guys, the spiritual truth that I want to draw in on is that like the analogy of the body, God says that we're a body. Like the analogy, and let's run with that. When the heart is healed, it now pumps life-giving blood to the rest of my body. When my brain, when my brain has been restored, when my brain is healed, it can now give good and clear instruction to the rest of my body. The synapses of my brain is now firing and it can give good instruction. When my leg is healed, it can now support or help to support the weight of my body. If we miss this church, what we're trying to talk about, what God wants us to hear today, if we miss this, we may feel the work stops at my healing. My heart is fixed now, Pastor. My head is, 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 is okay now. My leg is healed. I have a husband or a wife now, Pastor. I have a job now and, and I'm good. If we miss this, we may stop at thinking that it was all about my healing. As the heart was healed, the danger is, is it will hinder the growth of the body. The danger is, as my heart is healed, the purpose of that healing is that the rest of my body would be, would be healthy, right? That blood would now flow in uninhibited. But likewise, drawing the spiritual analogy, we would hinder the growth of the spiritual body if we believe that it stops just there. Many come to church perhaps with the wrong mentality. I've called this first one the... Uh, Universal credit mentality. <laughs> you come to church sometimes and you may think that, you know, it's, uh, it's, uh, you, know, you want to receive benefits without work, right? That's what universal credit, some, not all. Some would go on the, what I used to call the dole back in the 80s and 90s. You go on the dole and there was a whole body of people that just, what I used to work for the employment service, so I know. People would come and I know the person in front of me has no desire to work. It is a mentality. But I say that some come to church with a similar mentality. We receive the benefits without the work. We want the spirit-filled worship, like my sister and all of us gathered yesterday. But are we willing to work for it? We, we, we want to be you know, dynamic in our being and in our preaching, but are we working for it? 
The powerful miracles that the Bible speaks about. Are we working for it? The Sunday school that we have inside. And you know, my wife and that takes, takes Sunday school sometimes. And, but are we working for it? Sometimes we come into church with a, with a universal credit mentality. We want to receive, right? We want to sign on, but we don't want to work. Other times we're coming with the, uh, with the consumer mentality. I've seen it time and again. It's like I'm a customer, right? And the customer's always right. That's what they say, isn't it? Customer's always right. Everything is about my needs and my satisfaction. So, you know, it has to be good music. I think my wife and I think, uh, I think Pastor hit a few dud notes. We must have good music. And in fact, you know what? We want the preaching short because I've got a deadline and my roaster's in the kitchen. All right? And uh, I don't want any talk about that sin stuff. Don't talk about sin. I don't want to hear about sin. And try not to mention Jesus too much. You know, I want a nice building. I want the lights and, sh and, the, and the smoke and all of that. And most of all, I want to leave as a satisfied customer. If I, <laughs> if I walk out of here and I don't get these boxes ticked, then I, I, you know, I, 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 I'm not satisfied and you haven't, you haven't met my needs. But these are true personalities. I make light of it slightly. But unfortunately, there are people that comes into the body of Christ not understanding that it is an organism. It is growing, there is weakness, and there is strength. But as you come in with the you know, universal credit mentality or, or you know, the customer, the consumer mentality, you read the body of Christ wrongly, my brother, my sister. You read the body of Christ wrongly. And if you do, you will cast false judgments. So, through ministry, God's design is to use the saints to play a part in building up his church. God's design is to use the saints because he has gifted us individually with specific gifts. The truth in our text, as we wrap up, is if you have a dictionary... You know, it's only in the Webster's Dictionary that you'll find success, the word success, before you find the word, the word work. S comes before W. It's only in the dictionary that you will find success before work. God will build his church and God will make it a success when the saints are willing to do the work in the ministry. When the saints are willing to work and roll up and say, you know what, I understand. In Luke 22 and 32 says, but I have prayed for thee that thy faith will not fail. And when thou art converted, strengthen thy brethren. When thy are converted, when you are converted, when you have had a sea change to your heart, your attitude, when God has, has given you a newness of spirit, you have been born again of spirit. 
I came in with a dead spirit to God. God meets us through the word and says, my son and my daughter, if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth, you shall be saved. And through that, Moshe said, you know what? As he bent his knees, there was a feeling in the jail cell that his life changed. There was a warmness that came and overflooded him. And he knew that it was going to be okay. He says that he uses born-again Christians. He uses the saints when you are converted, when you have that experience, to strengthen the brethren. So church, the place that we must come to is to be a part of building the body to its full potential. God has invested so much in us and oftentimes it lays dormant. The point of the gifting is that we would be a part of that. That we would be a part of building up the body, Christ's body, to its full potential. Like we said last week, you might be a leg or a toe. You might be an ear. A body without an ear can't hear. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> a body without eyes can't see. But if you have the eyes in the body and you are unwilling to see, the body remains blind. God has given you, my brother, my sister, a gift. The purpose of which is to build and to be a part of building his body. So what we need to do is, as we see in our text, do the work of the ministry. So how do we do that as we wrap up? We do this on two fronts. We need to be perfected, as that word that we looked at. And secondly, it's being a builder. Being perfected and then being a builder. So let's walk out that spiritual step. Let's look firstly at the spiritual step that we need to be perfected. And we know this doesn't mean that you need to be perfect, church. This is an equipping, the mending, the fixing of my character and my heart and my attitude. Some people would say, Pastor, that's just how I am. I speak how I am. I speak what, 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 I, say I, what I say I mean and that's just how I am. The Bible says that you need to be converted, my sister, my, my brother. That you need to be perfected, have a change of heart regarding the way that you speak, the way that you see other people. Paul says that, you know what, Jesus gave the gift of leaders and leadership to perfect and to prepare. So every one of us is a diamond. Every one of us has potential that God wants to clean up. He wants to brush it down. And one of the ways in which God does that is through pastors, as a vessel to prepare you. It is a gift when a pastor will challenge you. <laughs> I know it doesn't always feel like it, but it is a gift when a pastor will pray for you. It is a gift when a man will believe better for you. It is a gift when he will give unto you. He will serve you. It is a gift to be accountable. It is a gift to be, to, to, to be confronted about foolish thoughts and foolish decisions. To tell you the truth. I know you're very successful in the world and you, you're a director of this or you manage that. Or, but would you yield to the spiritual principles 
of God building his body. It is, it is God's design. It is a gift unto the church. When, when, when a pastor will speak truth, sometimes hard, to challenge you regarding you know, certain thoughts, correction. We need to thank God for that. It is his design and his way. This is how the kinks is worked out. I remember the first time my pastor rebuked me. I came into church, man. Had my earring in my, in my ear. Lovely. I came in, listened to praise and worship. My pastor came up to me and said, Mervyn, why do you wear that in your ear? What's wrong with it? There's nothing wrong with it. It's only an earring. It's only an earring. What's wrong with it? What's wrong with it? I'm just asking you, why do you wear it? But nobody's asked me that question before. Why do I wear it? Why do I wear it? Because I'm, <clears throat> like, my, like my brother Max would say, it's kind of wavy, isn't it? <laughs> it's kind of wavy, isn't it? My pastor said, Mervyn. And he showed me a couple of scriptures to where earrings actually came from. And after that, you know what? I didn't want to hear that. But as I went away thinking, I believe this guy like told me about my earring and to take out my earring. He didn't actually tell me to take it out. He just told me what it meant, biblically and spiritually, how it came about. It was a bond. If you was my slave, I would take you to my door and I would get this thing and I would and I would pierce your ear. And to everybody, now you would know that this man is enslaved unto me. That's how it came about. And when I understood that, and when I received that, not to the girls, to the girls it's adornment. To the girls it's adornment. Girls, you know, wear your earrings, adorn your hair and all of that. But for a man, that's, that's where it came about. That's where it came about. So it's never a good thing when a pastor comes to you and says, you know what, my brother, my sister, man, I, you know, I was, I, was, I, was, I was praying about you the other day. And something you said the other day just didn't sit right. How is it you could speak to our sister like that? You walked away and did it, you spoke to her wrongly. And I want to tell you that's not on, not here. We respect our women here. It's, <laughs> okay. That's not often received warmly. But that is God's gift to the body. God uses a pastor as a vessel, as a gift to challenge the body that we would pull out all of these kinks that's in our heart is to press your buttons to see what's inside that God can now it can be exposed to the spirit of God that God can now deal with it the spiritual step let's walk out the practical step as we as we move closely to finishing now of being a builder you know in Jesus's day the disciples would do the work of ministry and they would do that through the help and support of Jesus, right? You've got the disciples, you know, Jesus is there. They would distribute the fish, you know, and the bread to the 5,000 as Jesus uh, would feed them. They would fetch the donkey, uh, you know, when, when Jesus needed that to ride into Jerusalem triumphantly. You know, Jesus had need of the upper room uh, where there was going to be the Last Supper. The disciples would go into that town and, and side and, and find the place where the Lord was to have the Last Supper and they would make that ready. The disciples would work, would help, would support. They would preach, they would heal the sick, they would cast out demons, they would preach at Pentecost. In our days, disciple must do the work. 
in helping the ministry and helping to support the body, the pastor. We do this through evangelism, through preaching. We do this through helping and, and follow up of the new converts. We do this by paying my brother Glenn phoned me uh, uh, this morning and said, Pastor, forgive me, I've not been well. Glenn, I didn't know. I, 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 I didn't know. The work of the disciples is to reach out for those that aren't here. My brother's not well at home, is he okay? Has he got milk and cheese and bread? Does he have enough to look after himself? Phoning and visiting, maybe encouraging. It is the work of the disciples to maybe open your house to a fellowship. Somebody say amen. amen. <laughs> to help me pray before service, we come and we cultivate, a, a cultivate an atmosphere of faith where God can move and minister to his people. So I come, uh, you know, a quarter past 12. Why don't you come? Why don't you join me in a corner privately, quietly, no show? You know, there's not going to be an attention. You're not going to be mentioned, but just to pray. Cleaning up my sister Merritt. Every time before service, I find my sister. What are you doing, sister? Oh, nothing, pastor, nothing. She's mopping up outside there, mopping up inside there. Would we help? Would we help in transport? There are people that live slightly further. They may benefit from us helping and driving them in. The community events, we're having a concert in November. We are work in progress. My sister Kizzy and my wife and I, we represent the praise and worship team. Is one of your gifts uh, singing? Are you an instrument player? Do you have something in you that can maybe complement the praise and worship? Can you give? Is your gift one of generosity? Guys, we're wrapped up. We're finished. Because ultimately, it's not us that does this. Christ makes this possible by making believers a participant in building the kingdom of heaven. We are involved in building a spiritual body that the Bible says the kingdom of heaven. I was once in a kingdom the Bible says I was in the kingdom of darkness. I was in the kingdom of the enemy. As I was born again, I repented of sin. I said, God, forgive me of my foolishness. He said that he transported me from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. Every saint is an active member in building up a spiritual body that God has called the kingdom so we're not just here to, to make your, 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 your participation, your involvement is not, you're more than just numbers. I am not a number. You're probably too young for that. In the 1970s, there was a, anyway, we're more than just a number. We're more than just a number. To God, you matter. You have specific things that he has blessed you with. You are part of God's plan. I say again, you are part of God's plan to bring change to the city, to bring a change to your own home. You are an active participant 
in bringing a change in your school and in your work. It starts with us, church. As our Bible says, and as we close, some are called to be pastors, teachers. Some are called to be evangelists. Some are called to be missionaries. Some are called to be pillars of the church. Faithful guys that will be there. Faithful women that will be there. Some are called to be prayer warriors. Some are called to be interceders. Pastor, I don't have any money. That's fine. I can't go out and preach like you. That's fine. But what I can do well, I can pray. Some are called to be interceders. Is that your gift today? But we're all called to change the world for Christ. We're all called to build this spiritual body that he has called the church. So imagine how our church would be if all did the work of the ministry. Might help to set up church. We might help to be an usher at the door. We might help to, to play an instrument. I know my brother Terry has is, uh, is already spoken to me about maybe playing a guitar. Can I get involved, Pastor? Absolutely. Let's talk about that. Let's pray about that. Keyboard players, we need a keyboard. Somebody, I can't do that. That is not my gifting. Amen. But some might be the financial support. I can't do any of that. But I can give a couple of quid now and then. If that is what God has given you, my brother, my sister, would you use the gift? So as we leave this wonderful church, I pray that we would leave with a conviction. Don't leave with, ah, oh, yeah, well, that was all right, wasn't it? Yeah, what's, what's for lunch? <laughs> what's for lunch, anyway? What's for lunch? Let us leave with a conviction. Let God stir you today. Because God has given us, has given his church the gift of leadership and the gift of workers. The last scripture is Colossians 4, 17 and 18. It says that see that you are faithful, sorry, see that you fulfill rather the ministry that you have received in the Lord. See that you are faithful to fulfill the ministry. Church, together we must rise up. And together we must do the work that God has called us to. In a ministry, in the edifying of the body. Building a kingdom that is forever and ever. Amen? Amen. Let us pray. Father Lord, we thank you. Hallelujah, church. Let us join together as we, uh, as we read the word. We're going to be reading from Ephesians 4. 15 and 16. So that's Ephesians 4. 15 and 16. I want to speak today. Oh, this laptop has just died. Can you believe that? <laughs> uh, we need to invest in better technology. So we want to, uh, we want to uh, look at uh, uh, the scripture together. If you have... Uh, let us turn in our, our Bibles. We are reading from Ephesians 4. So that's uh, the two verses there, 15 and 16. 
And I want to look at the thought today of our importance in the kingdom. Really, uh, as continuing from, from, uh, from, uh, from our illustration today, you know, obviously it's, it's Remembrance Sunday today. I want to continue in that thought of the importance and significance of today. But I want to look at the thought of our importance and our vitality in the kingdom. Because sometimes we have a, a misplaced mindset that we think what we do isn't important. We're convinced by whatever is going on in our minds, in our hearts, in our emotions, that what we contribute in the kingdom of God doesn't make a difference. Whether it's in the body of Christ, which is the church, whether it's what we do for the kingdom as we labor, as we outreach, some great preaching yesterday from my brothers Max and Ashley, sometimes we are in a mindset that what we do doesn't really make a difference. In our family, what we do, how I love, how I behave, how I speak, the acts of kindness that I do, doesn't really make a difference. My life in my home and in my community doesn't really make a difference. Does it make a difference if I'm here or not? If I live or die? If I work with a new convert? If I come and I love a brother? and I support a sister. Does it actually make a difference? You know, in World War I, whilst there were many people that were drafted into the war, we know a draft, the government would send you a letter, and they would say, you are, you are obligated, you are called into the army, you are drafted into the army. So though we know many people, many men, were conscripted into the army, there is an untold story <coughs> excuse me, of uh, uh, what turned out to be over 250,000 children. It's not often commented, but though the men were drafted in, there was hundreds of, of children that was far too young to fight, but, was, but saw the importance of what was going on. They heard the conversations of mum and dad. Do you know we're at war? Yes, mum, we're at war. Do you know that the Germans is threatening this and threatening that? They heard and they felt the importance of going out. They saw the importance of their hands being active in the battle. Amongst them was a miner's son called Christopher Lewin from uh, Rotor in, in, in Wales. Now, he was so keen to fight he was so keen to go to France in World War I that he wrote personal letters. In his, in his little hand, he, he penned letters to the Welsh Regiment uh, General. And in it he would say, you know, I, I want to go. I want to fight. I, 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 you know, I see there is a need. I heard the recruitment officer in town and they said there was a lack of men that would rise up and go. So I want to go. He was turned down multitude of times. You know, in the letter he said, but I'm 14, I'm almost a man. I'm 14. So he sent these letters to, uh, you know, to everyone. He sent it to, to London, he sent it to, to Wales, he sent it to everybody that would receive it. He sent it to the local recruitment uh, officer in, in, in town. Because in 1915, this 14-year-old child 
recognized the importance of what was going on around him. He saw the importance. He saw and heard the wars, the rumors. He heard the conversation. So in 1915, he was successful. One regiment said, okay, you want to come and fight? Come, fight. So that was number one, over, overcome, one problem overcome. Secondly, now as he started, this young boy, I, and, and, and as I was reading and doing research for this word, I could imagine my son, Perez, little skinny little kid, feisty, you know, he wants to fight, skinny little kid. He entered into the regiment that he was successfully entering into. But the second problem that he faced was they didn't have uniforms to fit him. This is a man's war with, you know, trousers and helmets that are made to fit a certain size. This kid, it turned out, wasn't 14 at all, he was 12 years old. So what they had to do, they thought that he must just be a, a very small kid. So they made a uniform you know, for him, specifically for him, small enough for him. So he went and he fought. The war concluded as we looked at, given uh, that minute's silence. It concluded in 1915, where the central powers were, were defeated by the Allies, as we looked at. Church, I want to pose a question before we start. And that is, do you understand just how important you are in the kingdom? Do you understand just how important you are in our church? Because if you don't, I want to, I want to, I want to express that to you today. Because Paul writes about the importance of every member of the church body in our text today. He, as Pastor Paul, you can really feel his heart here. Revelation of God. If you have your Bibles, why don't we turn? It is Ephesians 4, and it's 15 and 16, and it says, But speaking the truth in love, let us grow in every way into him who is the head, even Christ. From him the whole body, fitted and knitted together by every supporting ligament, promotes the growth of the body for building up itself in love by the proper working of each individual part. Let us pray. Father, I thank you for the most marvelous thing that is your body. I thank you, Lord, for the most marvelous thing, which is the individual pieces that you have placed within the body. I want to thank you, my God, for every soul that you have blessed your work with, for every hand that has labored, Lord, for every preach that has been preached, for every work that's been worked, for every prayer that's been raised, for every gift and tithe and contribution that's been offered, for every love and word of encouragement that's been given. I want to thank you, Lord, my God, for your body. And upon it, I pray a blessing in Jesus' name. Amen. Church, God has given every believer a part of the greatest thing 
a part of the greatest endeavor upon the face of this entire globe. God has given every believer a section and a part to play in church. So we must make our contribution because it is, it is, it is vital to the kingdom. The subject that we see in our text today is the body of Christ. And what we've seen is, is the role of every believer. In the 16th verse, Paul says, every believer has a role to play in the kingdom. It goes on to say that uh, that, which, uh, um, that which every joint supplies, that which every joint supplies to another. And then it goes on to say the measure of every part. So we have a part, we have a measure of every part. So God doesn't place people in his body just to make up the numbers. God doesn't think, you know what, this hall holds 250 people. There are how many chairs? Let me just fill the church. God doesn't do that. God appoints. God calls. God places. Mindfully, willfully, he does this. This cause, this, 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 this points to the, to the precision of the cross of Jesus Christ. Upon the flowing blood of the Lamb, which we know. There is a precision. There is an exact reasoning. Provides for the whole human race. But it also provides for each and every one of us personally here today the blood the grace the mercy the forgiveness the newness of life the spirit it is a precision work both generally to the world but also to us personally galatians 2 and 20 says that he has been crucified with christ it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me, specifically. Are you saved today? Because Jesus Christ gave himself. He gave himself for you personally. He thought of you specifically and by name and he gave himself for you. So you are a vital part of the body. It is a deliberate thing. He gave himself. When you was in sin, when you was in the, the, the madness of your previous life, when you was rebellious towards God and every holy thing when you was living a lifestyle that was so immoral, he gave himself, he gave his divine blood to bring you into the body. He gave his divine blood to bring you into the body. Christ gave you so much just to show you that you are important, that you form a vital role within his body. 1 Peter 2, 9 says, but you are a chosen people, 
You are a royal priesthood. You're a holy nation. You are God's special possession. That you may declare the praises, the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. That is who you are, church. I want to remind and I want to encourage every one of us today. I don't know what, what the enemy is doing in your mind today. You feel as if you may not, you know, you do, but it doesn't really matter. You do, but it doesn't really break through. God is saying otherwise. You are absolutely integral. You are vital to his body. The issue that we have in our text today is the contribution to the church. What we must see is that your contribution is vital. Whatever you do, whatever you give, however many prayers you offer, it is vital. It is the lifeblood of, of church, of his body. However, however many, uh, many brothers you, you, you phone up and you, you support, and whatever you do, my brothers and sisters, your contribution is vital. Ephesians 16, before 16, Paul says that every believer is vital for the building up of the church, right? You saw that. Every part is vital in the building up of the church. This is under his control, all different types, uh, sorry, under his control, all the different parts of the body fits together. And the whole body is held together by every joint with which it is provided. And then he goes on, so when each separate part, as it should, uh, works as it should rather, the whole body grows and builds up itself through love. Church must be joined together closely. In order for a kingdom to stand, it must be united. Church must be united together. Each member must be working effectively and efficiently. The church must increase and build up in love one unto another. Church, the reason we must see this, again, is that we see and we feel that our contribution isn't important. It's not important. The young boy in our, in our illustration saw the importance. Irrelevant of how small I am, he saw the importance. Irrelevant of, of, of you know, my age, he saw the importance. There is a greater enemy than I, and I am the least in, in my household. But I see the importance. If you miss the importance of your works, your labor, your prayer, your giving, your love, your support, we would hinder the church. Not making contribution, we would, we would hinder the church. Church, a lack of contribution brings hindrance. A lack of contribution brings hindrance. When you marry, if you're married, your spouse not making contribution to your marriage brings a hindrance. <laughs> if my wife is saying, I ain't gonna cook for you no more, those chins, gone. It brings a hindrance. <laughs> Talk to the <laughs> 
I, as the husband, I'm saying, you know what, honey, I, you know, this, that, and the other, I'm this, I'm that, I'm going to lord it over you. That brings a hindrance. That brings a hindrance. If I don't contribute to the well-being and the health and strength of my marriage, if I don't contribute, that brings a hindrance in the growth and the peace of my house and the happiness of my wife. It brings a hindrance in my home, in your home. You might be renting, you might be sharing, whatever. The people around you, if they're not contributing, that brings a hindrance. You're sharing the kitchen and they're not cleaning up after themselves. That is a hindrance. If, <laughs> if they're leaving their stuff around the house, they're not working, they're not paying towards the collective bill, that is a hindrance. Or in business, if you're in a company, you're not pulling your weight. You're not investing in the company. You're not working for the benefit, for the betterment of the company. You're not sacrificing your time and efforts. The employer will say, you are now a hindrance to the growth of my company. So too in church. So too in church. Members not making contribution can bring a hindrance to the growth and to the health, to the stability of the body of Christ. If we're not praying, that can be a hindrance. If we're not reading, that can be a hindrance. We're not attending or giving or loving. If we're not serving one another, we're not witnessing, we're not worshiping, we're not inviting, we're not encouraging one another, church. God is speaking that we have an active part to play. And we have, an, our role is important. What we do is important. Our contribution is important. Sometimes we have this misplaced mindset where we think that our contribution to the kingdom doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if, uh, you know, I, 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 I pray for this brother or not. I've seen it before, he's only going to go out of this place and he's going to do this and he's going to do that. It doesn't matter if I preach because every time I do, I raise my voice and every agent of Satan comes up and, you know, tries to shut me down. It doesn't matter. What's the point? What's the point in me praying and, and reading the word? Because every time I do, I mean, it feels as if like it's leaking out of my ears, my nose. You know, it, what's the point? God is saying today that this is a misplaced mindset. And every prayer that you offer up makes a difference in the kingdom. And every hand that you shake and every shoulder that you hug, it makes a difference. Every offering that you put in the offering, it makes a difference to the health and stability of the kingdom. Church, the truth that we must see, if we can, if we can, if we can understand, if we can wrap our, our, our minds around this, that you, you, you may think that your contribution is, is, is small. You may think like this little boy, you know, what can I do? My little hands, my little frame, small, but it is vital. No matter how small, church, no matter how small, it is vital. Because it's vital, God requires you to be a part. Because however, how small it is, God requires us to do a part. Matthew 25, 18 says, but he who had received the one talent went and dug it in the ground and hid his master's money. You have been given talents and abilities. But in this, one that shows a lack of faith in Matthew 25, 18, says, you know what? 
I'm going to bury this in the ground because it doesn't make a difference. He's given me one talent. Are you kidding me? I saw him give three talents to that guy. He gave five talents to that guy. I'm going to take this one talent and just put it in the, in the ground. In the same verse of Matthew 25, verse 30, it says that he should be cast, that he should cast the worthless servant into outer darkness in the place that will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. God sees this very seriously. God views this pretty seriously. We and our contribution and our efforts and how we work together as a body, that which he's given us, he views that pretty severe to be cast into outer darkness where there is gnashing of teeth. Judge, I want to close because the place that we must come to is to build up the church, is to build up the body of Christ in love. So what we need to do is we need to, be, we need to do our part in building the church. How do we do that? Firstly, we need to thank God for being a part of the body. Every time I, 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 I wake up and I pray part of my morning prayers, you know what, God, I thank you. I thank you for my salvation. I thank you that you have, you know, you surround me with men and women of Christ after your own heart that will serve and see the importance. I thank you for placing me in a body where we can do something for God. I thank you that you put us in a space, in a place specific where blessing can flow, where destiny can be established, where love and support. We need, to, we, we need to thank the grace of being in the body. But secondly, we need to ask for grace to do the work. So let's look at, let's walk out that spiritual step of thanking God for the grace of being in the body. In 1 Corinthians 12, 13 and 14, 12, 13 and 14, it says, by one spirit, you are baptized into the body. Whether you are Jews or Gentiles, whether bond or free, and have been all made to drink into the one spirit, for the body is not, uh, sorry, for the body is not one member, but it is many. We need to, it, it, it was the grace of God that took me out of the kingdom of darkness and transported me into the kingdom of light and to the kingdom of his son. It was the grace of God that did that. I was once rebellious and an enemy of God. But grace, but grace, but grace said, son, my daughter, I love you so much. I am not going to leave you. I will not leave you where you are. I have called you and I know you and I called you out. You're a peculiar person. You, you, you are, what is, what is that verse I, I, I so love? It says that you are, um, you are a chosen people. He saw me. He says, I choose you. I don't know if people have rejected you in your life, your parents, your friends, your loved one. You've been shunted in love. I choose you. You are a royal priesthood. A holy nation, 
in my sin, in my rebellion. He says that you are my special possession. That is grace. That is grace. That we would declare his name. God transported that. God transported that. That, that wretch, he transported that. It was the grace of God that turned from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of his son. We need to thank him for his grace today. But secondly, the practical step of, you know, asking God for, to, to, you know, for more grace to work. Because it is by grace that we will work. It is by grace that we will do all that God has called us to do. First Corinthians 15 and 10. It says, by grace, by, sorry, by the grace of God, I am what I am. And the grace towards me was not in vain. On the contrary, I work harder than any of them. Though it was not I, but the grace of God that was in me. It was the grace of God that caused me to move. It wasn't me coming to the end of myself thinking, oh my goodness, I shouldn't do this anymore. We have to, we, you know, God gives me grace. God gave me grace to do my part. God gives you grace today to do your part. In your personal devotion, God gives you grace. I know you don't think you pray as much as you want to. I know you think that you don't read as much as you need to. I know you don't think that you preach as much as you should. You don't love as you should. You don't fellowship as much as you should. God gives you grace that you may be saved, that we may be pure, that we would be holy. It is his grace. It is his grace that, that we would be faithful, that enables us to serve and to be a part of the service, that we would pray, that we would come together in midweek Bible study. It is his grace towards us that he doesn't leave me, abandon me to my own devices and my own thoughts and my own will. You know, what I deem as right, it is his grace that leads us to giving, that I see God and I see this and I, and I give and it's his grace that we can serve, that we're not spectators, that we're not spectators but we, we are participators. It is his grace that calls us into that, that we can be a disciple, that we can pick up our cross, that we can follow Christ. It is his grace that does that, that we can be a good example because other people are watching us. People in Bournemouth are watching us. People in church are watching us. They're watching our lives. What decision is he going to make? They're following you. Church, it is Christ as always that enables us to do this. It was his cross. It was his grace. Christ enables us. It is Christ that makes this possible. It's not us. By placing you in his body, he placed you in, in his body. And he gave you a mandate. He gave you a role to play. He called us. In our text says that we would give praises. Not just to sit down, but that we would do something that we would work. The key component here, the hope that we have, that key component, you know what? There's no devil that can say to you, 
you know, you're insignificant. Because we've got a hope. There's no devil that can say to you, oh no, you know what, uh, yeah, it's all right for him, but, but you, you, you're useless. You're, whatever you do is always corrupt. The hope that we have, because it's not of us, my hand is almost like it's in a glove. And that glove is, that covers my hand is the grace of God. God says that I am cloaked in his grace. He gives me a cloak of grace. Because of that, everything that we do, we have the hope. And that is the key component. No enemy can come against you and say, oh, you know what? You're insignificant, man. You're insignificant. You are worthless. What you do doesn't matter. No enemy can come against us because it is not of me. You lay accusations falsely because you accuse not me but God. The final scripture, and it's a long one, it's 1 Corinthians 12, 21 and 30, 31. And it says that I cannot say to the hand that I have no need of you. Or again, the head can't say to the feet, I don't need you. Verse 22, on the contrary, these parts of the body are weaker. Sorry, uh, those parts of the body that are weaker uh, are, sorry, excuse me. On the contrary, those parts of the body that are weaker are indispensable. They're indispensable. And those parts of the body that we consider less honorable, we clothe with greater honor. And our unrepresented um, parts are treated with greater respect, which our respectable parts do not need. Instead, God has put the body uh, together, giving greater honor to the less honorable, so that, uh, so that there would be uh, no division in the body, but the members would have the same concern for each other. So if one member suffers, all members suffers with it. If one member is honored, all members rejoice with it. 27. Now you are the body of Christ. And individual members of it. And God has appointed these in the church. First apostles. Second prophets. Then teachers. Next miracles. Then gifts of healing. Then helping then administration, various kinds of tongues. Are you all apostles? Are you all prophets? Are you all teachers? Do you all do miracles? Do all these gifts of healing, do you all have gifts of healing? Do you all speak in other tongues? Or do you all interpret? But desire the greater gifts, and I will show you even better ways Just imagine how the church would be if everybody played their part. Some given to heal. Some given to prophesy. Would you prophesy, my brother, my sister? Would you receive the gift of the Holy Spirit that you would speak in tongues? Would you give? Would you perform, would you perform some administrative role? Would you help? 
Do you see the importance in our worship, in our service, in our prayer meeting, in our concert? We have a concert in two weeks' time. In our fellowships. One can't say to the other that I have no need of you. As we close, I pray as we leave that the conviction that the Holy Spirit would lay upon us is that God has given every believer a part in the greatest endeavor upon the face of this earth. The Holy Spirit of God has given every Bible-believing Christian, every blood-washed, sanctified Christian, a part to play in the greatest endeavor upon the face of the earth and in all creation. And that is his body. That is the church. So we must make our contribution. Because you are vital to the kingdom. Can somebody say amen? Amen. amen. Hallelujah. Church, why don't we pray? I want to pray this afternoon. Father Lord, I want to ask 